1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Deborah and Barak sing thanks to the Lord for giving them victory. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 5, verse 1. The title of the message is, Why We Sing.
2: All right, Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. The whole theme of the book of Judges is these cycles that Israel goes through and that show us why we need the king of kings. And in context, in chapter 4, the northern tribes, all the way back to the beginning of Judges, the northern tribes, they never drove out the remaining Canaanites in their midst. Instead, they intermarried with them and eventually worshipped their gods. And this brought about God's judgment in the form of the reborn kingdom of Hesor under King Jabin. And those that Israel thought were their neighbors ended up becoming their tormentors under the warlord Sisera. And chapter 4 described how after 20 years of oppression, Israel finally cried out to the Lord and God gave them that miraculous victory over Sisera and Jabin. We read that, we think, great, that's wonderful, but there's another chapter here, chapter 5. And I ask you, have you ever prayed for God to rescue you from something? I dare say most of us have probably pleaded with God for help at some point in our lives. God, please provide for this need, or whatever it might be. So here's the follow-up question, the question of why chapter 5 exists is, what do we do when the Lord comes through? What do we do when the Lord comes through? The appropriate response. Is praise. And not just in our private prayer time or just kind of going, thanks God. Not just that, but in our words in front of others. And one of the ways we do that is through singing, which is what Deborah and Barak do here. So, chapter 5, verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Ahino- Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord. For the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, and give ear, O ye princes, for I even I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. So here we see there's this call to, it tells us that they're going to sing, and then there's this call to worship in verses two and three. Now, verse one says, Then sang Deborah and Barak, and then comes right after verse 24 which is where they defeated Jabin and Hazor and his kingdom. And peace was reestablished there in the northern part of Israel. So this is right after the victory at Hazor, which shows us that we should not wait to praise God. You know, when God comes through, we should immediately praise him. Now, the word here to sing, sang, here it means to use one's voice as an instrument. So when we talk about singing, it's when you use your voice as an instrument. Now, some people play instruments very well. It doesn't tell us if these two knew how to use their voice as an instrument well. It just simply says that they did so. And I think that's important because a lot of times I hear people say, well, I don't sing because I don't sing very well. So let me tell you a secret, all right? You ever used a filter, like to filter things out? God has a heavenly filter, all right? Because you think about it. Here you have the angels in heaven who were created for the purpose of praise, and they're around his throne all the time, and all they do is sing, and they sing perfectly. So no matter how good you sing here, you're you're never going to match that. So how is it that God wants us to sing to him then? There's something about it that the Bible says it's a sweet-smelling savor to him when we do that. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's a sweet offering to him. It's something that pleases him and blesses him. So I know I joke about a heavenly filter, but the reality is is that the quality is not necessarily what God is looking for. As It's us singing to him as a congregation or you as an individual. It's about doing it unto the Lord. Now, this word is interesting to sing because it can also mean in Hebrew to hoot like an owl. Now, we have an owl in our neighborhood, and it, it always grabs my attention when it starts hooting because it doesn't sound like anything else in nature, not in my neighborhood at least. And so when it's out there and you hear the whoo, it's just loud and piercing and just different. Now, why do owls hoot? Well, owls hoot for two reasons, either to communicate with another owl or to announce something. That's interesting because that's the same way that we sing. Do you know the word hallelujah exists in so many of those psalms? You know that word, right? Why does it exist in so many psalms? Why was it there? Like if you have a King James Version, it'll start off and it'll say hallelujah, and then it'll go down and end with hallelujah. That's why they're called the Hallel Psalms. Why do we see that word so much in Scripture? Why do we see it in a lot of the psalms? Well, it's because the word hallelujah is an exhortation. It's not actually like uttering praise. It's an exhortation to others. It's, praise ye the Lord. And I'll translate that for you. It's good old Florida speak. Praise you all the Lord. Or when I was in Tennessee, praise you and the Lord. Praise you all the Lord. All of you praise the Lord. It's an exhortation. So when it starts off, and the Hallel song starts off, and it starts off with saying, hallelujah, that's the worship leader getting up there going, it's time to sing. It's time to praise Everybody lift your voice. Our singing, as we lift up our voice, is to announce God's goodness, His greatness, to Him. To communicate it to Him, but not just to Him. Our singing is to the Lord, but it's also to one another. It's directed to God in praise, but it's done so with a secondary purpose, to encourage others to do the same, to spread word of his greatness. So we must sing to the Lord and to those who are around us. And whether you think you do it well or not, or whether you like to sing or not, open your mouth and declare God's goodness. I get frustrated when you you read things by people who are very antagonistic towards God, one of the things, at least recently, it seems to be that's brought up a lot is, you know, God's this petulant, you know, child that needs praise or he pitches a fit, you know? And, and, you know, it's funny because when we talk about God, we talk about him being self-sustaining. He has need of nothing, you know? It's not like God's walking around going, I didn't really sing really loud at church today, you know? You know, I mean, God doesn't need anything from us. It's not like he woke up and he thought, oh, yay, it's Sunday. Every other day stinks, you know? You know, people are going to sing to me today. God doesn't need anything. Like if, if he didn't have us, he'd be perfectly fine. In all eternity, the Trinity, one of the reasons we know, by the way, that God is triune is the very nature the, the very nature of God. That God is love means there must be more than one person in the Godhead because love is meaningless. There's just nothing and no one to love. So the concept of the Trinity you know, it, it teaches us that, that, that idea that God was perfectly fine. All the three persons of the Trinity were fine, interacting with each other. They had everything they need, needed from one another. He doesn't need anything from me. God's not lacking anything that I all of a sudden, you know, supply. God is not petulant. He doesn't need our praise. It's what's right to do. It's what's right to do. That's what we say when God is worthy of praise. Worthy is a word they would use when they would do measurements. And, and, and worthy meant that it was equal. You know, when, when, when what you were buying, the money you put down, the weight of the shekels or whatever you put down was equal, equal to the weight of what you were buying. So when we say that God is worthy of our praise. We're saying that's how things are right. That's a just balance. That's how it should be. So God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of us declaring His goodness. And one of the reasons we do that is obviously because He's worthy, but also is because other people need to hear it. You know, one of the songs we did tonight, Never Once, it's, it's a personal favorite of mine. I was driving on the, the road one day when I first heard that album that Matt Redman did, and, and uh, there was quite a few songs on the album that choked me up. And it I was a long drive. I don't even remember what was going on in my life. But it was a, a challenge. And I just had to pull off to the side of the road and just stop because I was, I was just weeping so much. And, and I was just, Lord, all these things I'm singing about in this album I'm listening to for the first time are all true. You've never left me alone. Never once, you know. And, and, it, and it you know, the thing is, is that I may not have had those thoughts unless somebody else started singing it. <laughs> and, and reminding me of things that I had forgotten in the midst of a trial. So it's not just that we sing to God because he's worthy. We sing to God because others need to hear it. I mean, we sing about God because others need to hear it. We hoot like an owl in that sense. We're not just communicating to God. We're announcing something to one another. Now, it mentions here that Deborah and Barak sang... Um, while that 's uh, the case, we do have clear indications that Deborah is the author. she 's the one that wrote this song because most of it 's in the first person. Verse two, "Praise you the Lord, for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Here Deborah says that hallelujah, although it 's not the word Hallelujah, but it 's a word that means the same thing. It just is different instead of praise. It means to speak excellent words about the Lord. And it's a command. Again, it's an exhortation. She starts the song off with an exhortation. You must all speak excellent words about the Lord. Now, who she's talking to? She's talking to all the people of Israel. So Deborah is calling the believers there at the victory at Hazor over Jabin to sing praise, to speak excellent words about the Lord. You know, why? For the avenging of Israel. That's a a really bad translation. Uh, The word for the avenging, it actually means for the long-haired leaders of Israel. And the word long-haired refers to those who were the, the, uh, the tribal leaders back then. The Lord must be praised because the tribal leaders finally took action and the people courageously followed their trust in the Lord. That's why he should be praised. We've been sitting here in bondage and oppression for 20 years because we've been doing things our own way. But finally, the leaders rallied behind Barak and the people rallied behind the leaders and we courageously trusted the Lord for a miracle. And he did it. He did the miracle. When the people willingly offered themselves. See, we must remember that there was no central authority in Israel at this time. So even though God wanted to do this for so long, they had no king to lead them in God's will. So that Barak and the other leaders finally did trust the Lord. It was a reason to sing of God's greatness. Why? Because God never gave up on them. God never gave up on them. He kept working despite their stubbornness, despite their unbelief, despite trying to fix it their own ways. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't write you off when you're not trusting him? I am. <laughs> I'm really glad because I do that way too often. And that's worth singing about, isn't it? You yeah, know, he sang that song tonight, you know, never once. And I thought, oh, Lord, there's a lot of times you could have just said, I'm done, Will. I mean, I'm done. I mean, I'm, I'm, you ever do this as a parent, you know? You say something and then you think, oh, I'm so glad God doesn't treat me like that. <laughs> You know, I'll say to my kids, how many times do you? And I hear just in that little, still, small voice. Well, how many times do I have to tell you? Oh, man. Lord, you're not like me. Never once do we walk alone. Never once does he abandon us. Doesn't write us off when we don't trust him. That is worth singing about. Now, while the song starts off urging believers to sing to the Lord, it, in verse 3, Deborah moves to declaring to unbelievers the greatness of God. She goes here, which means, listen up, verse 3. Listen up, O you kings. Give ear, O you princes. He refers to anyone who governs. Now, Israel doesn't have a king at this time. They don't have any princes. So these are referring to, to unbelievers, uh, Gentiles, anybody who, who's within hearing range. For I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Again, Deborah and Barak's words are like the owl hooting. Listen up, all of you who didn't experience this awesome rescue, because I'm going to tell you how awesome our God is. And in verse four, she begins to do that. She says, Lord, when you went out of Seir, and you see here, we're singing to the Lord, but we're also singing to others. Both are here. Lord, when you went out of Seir, when you marched out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, and clouds, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. Deborah declares here that in the battle, God personally intervened. Now, Edom, the reference to that, Sinai, Mount Seir, these are all places in the south of Israel, okay? They're to the south of Israel or to the southeast of Israel. Most rainstorms come to northern Israel from the Mediterranean Sea. You remember when um, Elijah was on the, the mountain um, uh, praying, you know, praying for it to rain because he had said it wouldn't rain for a certain period of time? And he goes to his servant, he says, go check and see, where does he send him? He sends them to go look at the Mediterranean because that's where the storms come from in northern Israel. They don't come from the south. There's desert there, and it's just the way things work, the weather patterns, pressure and everything, they don't come up from the south. So that this one rose from the south, the storm that flooded the river Kishon that ended up being the miracle to help them win the battle, that it came up from the south. It spoke of supernatural instigation, that God himself was in the storm bringing it to trap Sisera's chariots in the flooding river. Now, that personal intervention by God, it it brought an end to a horrible time in northern Israel. It says in verse 6 In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the village ceased. Their uh, villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Now, if the name Shamgar sounds familiar, it's because he was the last judge we studied in chapter 3. So apparently, Hazor's ascendance in the north and his persecution, Jabin's persecution of Israel, it began while Shamgar was judging the southern part and the central part of Israel. Uh, Jael is mentioned here because, well, she's important in the story. She's the one who killed Sisera with a, a tent stake. We'll get to her later. But in those days, the highways, the, the roads were abandoned. They were unoccupied. It means they were abandoned It says, people traveled, walked through byways, the word there means twisted paths, mountain passes, to avoid being attacked and robbed by the Canaanites who oppressed them. Now, as you imagine, this put a major clamp on trade and business, thus crippling the Israeli economy. So much so that entire Israeli cities were abandoned. Verse 7, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. It means they they, they were abandoned. They were abandoned in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose that I arose a mother in Israel. For 20 years, this was the horrible scenario in Israel until Deborah moved the nation to action and the, nor- the northern tribes lived in this financial distress and fear. But you know what's even worse about their situation? During all those 20 years, they didn't cry out to the Lord. They were stubborn and they abandoned the Lord and they cried out to other gods. Look at verse 8. They chose new gods and then there was war in the gates. Was there a shield or a spear seen among the 40,000 in Israel? It's interesting when it says they served or they chose new gods. The word new there, it means recent or culturally relevant. Someone came to me today and, and they said, you know, they'll get critiqued a lot when they want to try to stand for truth. And, and they said one of the things they frequently hear, are you from the dark ages? Are you from the 1500s? You know, there's these little scriptures in the Bible that, that consistently say the same thing. One of them goes this way. I am the Lord. I change not. <laughs> you know, I, the, I, the Lord is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Like God's opinions don't change with the whims of, of culture and, and what people consider to be relevant. God is God. What was right before is still right now. What was wrong before is still wrong now. They went for different solutions rather than trust in old truths. And what did that result in? More conflict and a crippling fear despite the fact that they had 40,000 men they could have put on the field. Ask the question of me, you know, how do I respond to a crisis? You know, do I respond to a crisis by drawing closer to the Lord in His ways or do I respond to a crisis by abandoning God and trying out my own solutions? You know, let's be those who return to the Lord when he disciplines us. Well, Thankfully, not only did God not write off the nation at this point, but Deborah didn't write off the nation either. She loved her people, especially the carnal and cowardly leaders. And that genuine love caused her to trust the Lord to work in them despite no evidence to support that it would work. Look at verse 9, she says, My heart is toward the governors of Israel. That's a pretty powerful statement, don't you think? My heart is toward the, the leaders of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but like if, if I had a leader like Barack, who, who, who can't, you know, I, you know, I have to summon him. He already knows what God's told him to do. He's not doing it, you know. And God tells me and says, Hey, Deborah, you know, can you please tell Barack to come here so you can exhort him to do what I told him to do? All right. And then you invite him to come over. He comes. You thought, okay, this is going well. And you tell him, hey, thus said the Lord this is what you're supposed to do, go be obedient. And he goes, I'll do what God says if you come with me. I'd be like, can we, can we throw this guy out and get another one? I mean, I don't, I don't want to go with this turkey. He might leave me in the middle of the battle. But her heart was toward her leaders, even ones that weren't the best. Is my heart toward those who lead our nation, whether they're good leaders or bad leaders? In First Timothy chapter two, verses one through four, we read it this morning. But you know, I'll highlight specifically that it mentions praying for our leaders. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I suspect that we will have a far greater impact through prayer and a true heart toward our leaders or towards your boss or, you know, an authority figure in your life than you ever will with angst and vitriol. (laughs) You'll have far more of an impact that way. There was a lot that Deborah could have been frustrated with in her own, the leaders in her, her nation, the tribal leaders. But even when Barack hesitated saying he'd only go if she went with him, she didn't yell at him, she went with him. You know, if if Paul could have this kind of a heart towards Nero, who was his king at that time, you know, because he's a Roman citizen, the man who eventually ordered his execution, if he could have that heart toward Nero, that he wanted the whole church praying for him, and Deborah could have this heart towards Barak and the other leaders in Israel, certainly I can have this heart toward the authority figures in my life. Now, in Deborah's case, her love influenced those leaders to repent and trust the Lord. And so now she urges them to join in her song. This is probably where Barack starts singing, why he gets credit. He says, You know, my heart is toward the governors of, of Israel that offer themselves willingly amongst the people. And then she says, Bless see the Lord, which means you must join in me in my praise, you leaders. Why? Because God did awesome things. Speak, you that ride on white donkeys, you that sit in judgment and walk by the way. The word there to speak, it means to speak enthusiastically about something because you've pondered its significance. You know, those who rode on these white donkeys, these tannish, reddish-tan donkeys, that was always reserved for the wealthier kings. She's talking to her leaders here, the ones that finally rallied and, and, and had the courage to trust God. She says, tell everybody what God did. Go back home to your, to your cities and, and tell, the Lord, tell everybody what the Lord did. That God had been so faithful despite Israel's unfaithfulness. They needed to tell their people this so that no one would live in fear or stubbornness any longer. Speak, you that ride on white donkeys, you that sit in judgment and walk by the way. They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there they shall rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. And then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates." No one has to live in fear anymore. No one has to live in war anymore. And you go tell them what God did and why they don't have to fear anymore. Guys, that's one of the reasons that we sing when we gather together. Yes, we sing because God's worthy and he deserves it. We sing to the Lord because he's worthy, whether we feel like it or not. But we need to sing when we gather together because maybe you came in tonight. Maybe you came in feeling fearful. Maybe you came in feeling stubborn, not feeling very spiritual. But when everyone around you is belting out the loving faithfulness of God, it has an impact on you, doesn't it? You really have to steal your heart if you're just going to be like, I'm not going to sing. You really do. And I've been there before. I remember I went to a pastor's conference once, and I told the Lord, I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm here only because you told me to come. After that, it's over. And then, you know, people start singing. I'm just sitting there. I'm not singing. I don't have anything to sing about. I don't feel God's goodness right now, and I don't feel like things are very good for me. And then, as they just keep singing, telling of God's goodness and faithfulness, man, it just started to melt my heart. And as my heart started to melt, I started to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to me, saying, "Come on, Will, get up, sing. You're going to be fine. So sing. Not for you." It's never for you, but it's also not just for God. You don't know who else is struggling around you. It's also so others can hear and be encouraged to trust Him more too.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online